As I sat there on New Year's Eve watching Ryan Seacrest count us down into the brand new year, I thought, gee, wouldn't it have been nice if the Mayans were right and all those doomsdayers were right and the apocalypse had occurred? I wouldn't have had to see this. Oh, well, it's a brand new year. New stuff to talk about. It's January 2nd, 2013. He's been shunned by commercial radio, unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America, and running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Now the world is getting older. There's a few things to be said. Clark may have passed away, but there was still one big dick on New Year's Eve counting us down into the new year. Ryan Seacrest has risen to prominence, taking over that New Year's Rock and Eve show. Yeah, that's how I spent my new year. I was here, right here. I should have just done a podcast right there on New Year's Eve, counted myself down, staring into this microphone <laughs> into the new year. I'll talk about all that. What? You know, my, my holiday. I don't know how yours was. I hope it was wonderful. Hope it was great. And uh, welcome to 2013, a year that sounds kind of science fiction-esque. I really thought about this the other day. When I was a kid, when I was 7, 8, 10, 12 years old, and it was 1985 or 1989 or 1990, the year 2000, it just seemed like such a faraway place. And I never thought I would... Well, as a kid, you never think you're going to live past like 35. You think 35 is old. But here I am. Here we are in 2013, and it's uh, great to be here. Welcome in the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Graff on Twitter. Graff Show on Google Talk. And for everything else Michael Graff related, it's always MichaelGraff.com. That's where you go to... Check out the latest podcast, leave your comments, questions, all your uh, information that you want to share with us. Um, of course, you could donate to this program. You may um, sign up so that you get email notifications every time a brand new podcast is posted. Just be sure to whitelist our site so that you get all of those, uh, all that information, all the uh, notifications as we uh, deliver new podcasts and new content to you. All of that. And again, I must reiterate, even donations, all of that can be done, facilitated via michaelgroff.com. I don't even know where to start. First of all, since our last show, yes, the world did not come to an end, either on the 21st, the 23rd, the 29th, whichever interpretation of the Mayan calendar and the doomsdayers out there that you buy into, none of that really seemed to uh, happen. Nothing of any significant consequence occurred 
Uh, aside from the fact that Congress was still in session, maybe that was what they meant. Maybe that was the doomsday aspect. Congress is in session, and we're trying to avert the fiscal cliff, and we have to talk about that, of course, on the show today. The, the big scare tactic, the fiscal cliff. And, you know, they every news outlet, they all had these nice produced little banners, these produced uh, little sweepers and stuff to talk about the fiscal cliff. America braces for the fiscal cliff. They did more about that than the Mayan calendar. And both of them are equally manufactured bunches of nonsense. The only thing the fiscal cliff was, and this is the part that you really need to know about it. The fiscal cliff was just an excuse to raise taxes and not cut spending. That's that's what I got out of it because that's exactly what happened. And I told you that's exactly what would happen. And as it turns out, uh, Republicans capitulated and there was a big tax increase on people making over $400,000 a year. And there's absolutely no spending cuts of any significance whatsoever. It is 1982 and 1990 all over again. Congratulations to Congress. Really, you're living up to that 20% approval rating that you've had for, what, the last eight running years now? 20% or less approval rating. Uh, congratulations, guys. You're... Uh, you're doing a bang-up job. We'll get into that uh, later on in the program. I had an interesting holiday. I had an interesting Christmas, New Year period. I don't know what you did. I don't know what your traditions are. For me, uh, first of all, it's nice. Uh, we have a, a little family get-together. It's just myself, my mom, her boyfriend, and my brother. And we just uh, spend Christmas Eve together and just at the house and it's just us and we have like little appetizers, little hors d'oeuvres and, and just a few drinks and we open gifts and just have a lot of conversation and it's fun and it's it's just a, a nice little setting and um, not a lot of involvement. It's very private and personal and I, I sort of like that. I like a nice chilled out Christmas Eve sort of situation. In years past, when I was growing up, we always had big get togethers on Christmas Eve Everybody got to, or Christmas Day, whatever. Everybody got together and um, it was, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. We all usually went to my grandma's house or one of my cousin's house or something like that. And everybody just sort of, um, I don't know, it was uh, a big party. And, and I like that. Don't get me wrong. But on Christmas Eve, I, I really just sort of like the tradition that we've had in my family for the last 10 years or so. And then on Christmas Day, we go out and have a nice dinner. We actually go to a restaurant. That's a, a thing that a lot of people, I guess, are doing now. They go, because frankly, who wants to cook on Christmas Day? It's bad enough. You cook on Thanksgiving Day. You, you prepare a big turkey, mashed potatoes and stuffing and everything else, yeah, big ham, whatever. And you get all the people over and you set up the house and you go through the whole thing. And then like six weeks later, five weeks later, you have to do it again for Christmas. And you like having people over, but you don't want to go through all the hassle of cooking and so a lot of people now are going out to restaurants, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, we went out to a nice uh, steakhouse, and uh, a lot, more and more places every year are opening up for Christmas Day. I, I think that's that's actually great, in spite of what all of those protesters who were so upset. By the way, what, where were those protesters, the ones that were so upset that stores were opening on Thanksgiving? There was a lot of these restaurants and stores that were open on Christmas Day. Yes, you could actually take back, at least in some cases, you could take back your unwanted gifts even on Christmas Day and uh, go to stores. And nobody was protesting about that. Nobody got upset there. Then uh, we went over to uh, some of the uh, other relatives on the uh, on the Groff side of the family, on Dad's side of the family. We went over to uh, 
the relatives uh, to have a nice brunch. And I got to see a lot of people that we normally don't see in the family. The only time I ever see most of my relatives, my cousins and uncles and aunts and all that, usually is when uh, somebody dies. That's sort of the morbid running joke in the family is that uh, we only see that side of the family or anybody in the family really when somebody dies. So it was nice to see them in spite of the fact that nobody was really dying. Well, there is. I'll get to that too. Uh, it, it was it was a really weird holiday, kind of a weird theme underscoring my holiday. I don't know. That was nice. A nice Christmas. And then New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve really didn't do anything. Uh, this is my own little tradition. The last several New Year's Eves really haven't done much of anything at all. It has been very quiet. Haven't been out. I think the last time I was out in a big party setting to welcome in the new year was probably 2005 going into 2006. I was in Las Vegas and normally I would never go to Vegas, but I had such a great deal. Basically a free room on New Year's Eve. If you can imagine, basically a free room because the hotel I was staying at was under construction. So they had these bargain basement deals on rooms and uh, I, I went there and it was it was fantastic. But I don't know. Part of me is like, I, I like being out of New Year's and I like having a, a nice thing, a nice uh, party. I don't want to be out in on a street in the open to welcome in the New Year. I don't mind being in a casino. I don't mind being in a big restaurant or a bar. But to be outside, be out there like those idiots that go to Times Square to welcome in New Year, I'm, I am just not ever going to do that. I've done that rap a thousand times about the people that go out to Times Square. Oh, my God. Who would do that? Even here, like who goes out? People go out to Tempe to the, what is that? The Tostitos block party, the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl block party. And I guess at midnight, you know, in New York, they have a big ball that drops. I think, and I'm, I'm serious about this. I think they have a big chip that drops into, into dip <laughs> to welcome in the new year. I'm serious. That's really what they do. So, um, no, I, I I was here. I actually got invited to go to a, a friend's house. One of my friends came over and said, "Hey, man, uh, let's uh, let's go over to so and so's house." And I said, "All right." And then he goes, "He's like, oh, by the way, they have like four dogs and two cats." Which, of course, I'm allergic to animals. I love animals. I really do. I, I owned a cat for 14 years, but um. And it never bothered me, but I'm uh, most animals I'm very allergic to. It's not one of these things where I get a little bit sniffly or I, I get a little cough or I, I sneeze once or twice. It starts out kind of like that, but then it just gets to a point my chest completely tightens up. I can't breathe at all. And if I don't get away from the irritant, then I have to go to the hospital or I'll just pass out. I'll, I'll suffocate death. My medication does nothing to stop that. So I, I, I just said, I can't go over there. And under normal circumstances, maybe I would. I'd go over there and just hang out outside most of the time. But it was almost literally freezing here. It was in the upper 30s um, by about 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve. So I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to. Plus, we had a, like an air pollution advisory. So I wasn't even going to go over there. Plus, who wants to bring someone over to a, somebody else's house for a party? And then that guy spends... 80% of the time hanging out outside by himself because nobody else was going to go outside and hang out with me. It's it's like two degrees outside. Who's going to do that? So we hung out for a little bit, one of my friends, and then uh, he went off to that and I stayed here and I welcomed in the new year 
you know, just here watching New Year's Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest, which was incredibly entertaining. Oh, I can't even tell you. I I love Dick Clark so much. I, I really admired him a lot. You know, um, Dick Clark hosted that New Year's Rockin' Eve show for what, like 40 years. He was, of course, a music producer, big time mogul in the music business back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. He had a production company. He hosted and produced game shows. Of course, uh, most prominently the uh, $25,000 and $100,000 pyramid. Dick Clark was the man, all right? He was really fantastic. Um, and it was it's so depressing when you saw him all stroked out, counting down to the new year. And everybody was sort of being condescending to him, I always thought, uh, after that. They're like, all right, big guy, take it away. Like, oh, here's your here's your bone. We're going to, all right, Dickie, count it down for us. I always thought that it was so, almost felt like it was being demeaning to him when uh, he was all stroked out and counting down a new year. And I, I really liked Dick Clark so much. It was so sad. And uh, when he passed away, I was like, I wonder what they're going to do with that show. Oh, I guess we're going to have more Ryan Seacrest, which I would take a dead Dick Clark just sitting up there, just just pan to his corpse to count down to the new year rather than one second of Ryan Seacrest. But of course, it's like a train wreck. You have to watch because it's so bad. You have to see how it's going to turn out. And then his co-host for the New Year's Rockin' Eve is Jenny McCarthy. I had no idea what happened to her aside from telling people with autism that, you know, she she can cure your kids. She cured her kids of autism. As you know, she uh, she's an expert on it. So you know where she's coming from is is pretty insane. She was crazy. Before I even talk about Ryan Seacrest, they're counting down to New Year's. They, they have, you know, the big New Year's celebration in Times Square. Jenny McCarthy is down in Times Square. She's making out with people. Not just like kissing them. Like she's like full on making out on the mouth with people to welcome in the new year. I was like, you're really going to make out with those animals in New York? I thought one of them, hey, Jenny, I'm going to throw you down. We're going we're gonna to bang right here, right here in freaking Times Square. Yeah, I just banged Jenny McCarthy on TV. I really was like, I can't believe she was making out with people right, right there on New Year's Rockin' Eve. It was weird. That was strange enough. And then... um. They had various musical acts. I think Train was on there. But the one, of course, that everyone was talking about was Psy and Hammer. Those were the two prominent acts that they rolled out for New Year's Rock and Eve. And I thought it was very strange to have Psy and Hammer or MC Hammer right next to each other because Hammer is today what Psy will be in about six months. Psy is Kajagoogoo. He is Spando Ballet. He is any one-hit wonder. Actually, if I had to make a the best comparison possible would be Los Del Rio. Remember Los Del Rio? They had the Macarena back in 1996 and it was huge. Macarena, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't turn on a radio station, go to a party. You couldn't be anywhere without hearing the damn Macarena. Bill Clinton did the Macarena back in 1996. During the presidential campaign, Bill and Hillary Clinton were doing that and that's how huge that became. Everybody remembers the prominence of that. But then they disappeared. And I know somebody will probably send me a message or an email saying, well, Mike, you know, Los Del Rio, uh, they had hits in, you know, some obscure place somewhere. But, you know, look, they got to the big leagues. They had their one hit and that's it. Hell, Hammer had more than one hit. Hammer had Too Legit to Quit. He did the Adams Family theme song. Uh, when, when was that, like 91 or something? And then, of course, he had You Can't Touch This. 
So those were hit three hits. Cy is never going to have three hits, but Cy made more money already than Hammer did in his entire career. I think uh, Cy just had that $10 million tour that he did. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, he announced that oh, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do Gangnam style anymore. So I don't know. He probably should take some advice. He should really look at Hammer and see where he's at now. How much of a novelty act he is. And really, frankly, I think Hammer's cool. If you've ever read through Hammer's story, it, he is. He's, um, I don't know. I, I, I really found uh, MC Hammer or Hammer very fascinating. I don't think there's a whole lot fascinating about Psy. But I, I will say this. Ryan Seacrest, he was talking to him. They were trying to do an interview. And Ryan Seacrest talks to Psy like the stereotypical person that talks to like a mentally retarded person or a, or a kid. You know, it's that very sort of condescending, slow, loud style of speech. So tell us about Gangnam Style. 2012, the year of Gangnam Style. And he talks like that to him, over-enunciates, and, and talks kind of slow and condescending to him. Like, I wish Cy would say to him, I'm not retarded, you idiot. <laughs> like, I wish I wish we just slap Ryan Seacrest across the face. That would have been the best moment. So that's what I was watching. I actually spent my time, I wasted my time to watch that because I knew it would be something I would want to talk about on the show anyway. Half of the time, and I very rarely watch TV anyway, but when I do, it's primarily the reason I, talk, I, I do it is just so I can have something to talk about on the podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, uh, that was really, it was a train wreck. That's why you watch. That's why you watch any of these uh, countdown shows. I don't even care about the other ones. I wanted to see what they did, how they replaced Dick Clark. And I, I'm sure Dick Clark rolled over in his grave at the thought of that. But he was happy because he's dead and he doesn't have to work with Ryan Seacrest. I mean, if there is an advantage to being dead, I think that's got to be it. Oh, well. Um, so what, else? yeah, so the, my holiday had sort of a, um, weird kind of underscore to it. My, my, my uncle Chuck, all right, it's, um, this is my dad's side of the family. This, this would be my dad's brother. My uncle Chuck, uh, very sick, cancer all over his body. He, he passed away, um, earlier today. Very, very sad and very sad for my family and all that stuff. He leaves behind a, a wife, beautiful wife, Carolyn. Uh, just a, a, a really just a sweet lady. You just couldn't picture a nicer woman. Uh, two wonderful kids, uh, daughters um, who are just probably, I, I can't, I, well, I, actually I can't imagine because when my dad died 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, I, I know what they're going through, but it's still very, very sad whenever you lose um uh, family relative. And of course, my grandma, my grandma Groff, Chuck's mom, um, she's, I don't even know how she can cope with this. She's watched her three kids die, all terrible deaths, long drawn out deaths. And it's just a sad thing for the family. And uh, I really, I feel for them. Um, I, I guess I put this out there. I don't know if they'd even hear it, but I, I really feel for you guys. I um trying to get in contact with my grandma, but of course she's uh, very understandably so. Her phone, the phone's been busy. I'm sure everybody's calling her. And that was sort of what was kind of the undertone, the underscore to the entire holidays that we knew about this now for a while. And um, it was brought up at the big brunch 
but n- not a lot of people really even know about it or, or a lot of people are really talking about it, but it was something that uh, people were kind of talking about. I won't get into all the details about it, but um, it was a very uh, notable conversation piece. And obviously my, my uncle, he's in Albuquerque. He was, uh, I guess he's been in a coma for quite a while or coma-like basically, not very responsive and not really talkative and it's just a sad thing. Cancer is just a real bitch. Just just a terrible thing. I already had a friend die of brain cancer earlier in 2012. So, ugh, just... um, just an awful situation, but I thought I'd just mention it and, and just that's, that was kind of the, the weird part of the holiday. So it was a, it was a happy holiday in some ways, spending it with family and, and all this, but that was sort of in the background. All right. Well, we do have a lot of other stuff to talk about and I want to get into, we'll, we'll definitely get into the fiscal cliff stuff, talk about how Republicans capitulated and really right now you've got to really question what the hell is going on with the Senate Republicans, even the House Republicans, congressional Republicans in general? We understand the fiscal cliff stuff and how it was so overhyped and so just on and on with the nonsense about it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're a conservative right now, if you're one of these diehard Republicans, you've got to be wondering why the hell congressional Republicans gave in They decided to go along with the hype and the nonsense, buy into the fiscal cliff stuff, raise taxes, and really no spending cuts of any significance were passed. We'll get into it. Plus, what will be the next big doomsday thing? What is the next thing that the doomsdayers, the the big end of the world types are going to hype up in 2013? Are we going to hear more talk about Planet X again? Is that going to be the next thing? Are we going to hear about uh, there's a gamma ray burst that could happen or there's a there's always got to be something with these people. So we'll talk about that. We've got the Michael Grav show stupid news file. We've got uh, other legitimate stuff to get into. You know, it's the same show as always here in 2013. The, the calendar may have changed, but we have all the same problems as as, as ever. Uh, we'll be back. It's the zip code famous Michael Grav show. <laughs> You're listening to the Zip Code Famous. Hey, that's quite a voice you've got there. You ever think about doing radio? Michael Groff Show. Size big appearance on New Year's Rockin' Eve. It's one-hit wonders bumpers on the uh, program today. Why not? 
It's the zip code famous Michael Graff show, January 2nd, 2013. Yeah, let's, here we go. I heard a terrible cover of this song. The day I heard some country cover of this song and it was just god awful. Between that and being in a bar the other night and hearing Johnny Cash do a cover of Personal Jesus, I thought that was maybe the most brutal thing I'd ever heard. I don't know if I've even ever talked about that on the show before. Years ago, I heard that too. Ugh, Johnny Cash doing a cover of Personal Jesus is about the most horrible thing you'll ever hear. Hey, we're back. Mike at KMGX.com. The email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Graff Show on Google Talk. Michael Graff on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, check out the latest podcast. Sign up for our podcast notifications. Leave your comments, questions, feedback, all of that. And donate to this program. All can be done at MichaelGraff.com. So let's uh, talk about this. The big fiscal cliff. It was the talk since the election, the big hype, the run up to everything that went on. And, you know, I got to tell you, if there was one concept that was hyped more than the end of the world back in 2012, that was it. The big fiscal cliff and that it was the combination of tax increases or, or at least the end of the Bush era tax cuts, which would therefore be a tax increase combined with certain government programs that were set to expire. And then, of course, the implementation of Obamacare and all this other stuff. So this was the fiscal cliff. Now, Congress, they got together, and this is never a good thing. Whenever Congress tries to capitulate, whenever they both uh, give in and they both compromise, never anything good really comes out of it. And we called this here on the show. This was something, not to toot my own horn, but I, if... Hate to say it, but I definitely told you so. So Republicans gave in in the 11th hour. They said, okay, we will raise taxes on people making more than $400,000 a year. And uh, what about spending cuts? Well, you know, we'll address the spending cuts later, but we have to make sure that these tax increases come into effect. That way, you know, we don't go over this fiscal cliff because it could be the worst thing to ever happen possible. And, oh, my God, the, the, the country very well could be plunged into a double dip recession or we could go uh, we could go and have a, a stock market crash, the likes of which you would never seen. It's really this manufactured, hyped-up nonsense. And the Republicans just said when they were elected or when they were running for office, and even when um, Mitt Romney was running and the Republicans were out there campaigning, they said, there is no way we're going to raise taxes. We're not going to let these Bush-era tax cuts expire. We're not raising taxes. We are going to get in there. You elect us. We are conservatives. You elect us and we'll make sure that this budget finally gets balanced. We will hold the, the president accountable. If he wins, we will hold him accountable. If Mitt Romney wins, we're going to have a balanced budget. Whatever. We're going to go in there. No, that's not what happened at all. As you know, they get elected. It was the big compromise. They said, well, and you knew it was trouble when uh, House Speaker John Boehner, right after President Obama was elected, said, we're willing to talk about a revenue increase, an increase in our revenue streams, which meant a tax increase. 
Now, whatever that means, tax increase on millionaires or a tax increase on people making 250000 a year or just across the board tax increases or just we're going to allow the Bush era tax cuts to expire and we're going to tack a tax increase on on top of that. I don't know what it means, but you knew that at some point there was going to be a tax increase that came down the pike and that they would give in. And people said, oh, no, that will never happen. They're going to stand on principle. The, the Tea Party people, the few that are left in Congress and uh, Republicans, they they heard the voters' message loud and clear. We still want you to hold the president accountable. Nope, that's not what they did at all. Republicans did exactly what you thought they would do. They gave in. And see, the Republicans are just as bad as Democrats in so many ways. In fact, probably even worse because Democrats, you know, are all about spending. They're all about Make sure that we, we're going to spend, we're going to increase the size and scope of government. We're going to have more government programs. We want to tax everybody, uh, increase taxes across the board, blah, blah, blah. Except, you know, on the, on the middle class, even though we've overseen big middle class tax increases also, but we're supposedly for the working man, da, 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 da. But at least you know that about Democrats. You know that they're out there. Republicans always campaign on this message of fiscal conservatism. Oh, we're fiscally conservative. We're going to stand on principle. No, you're not. You didn't. When you had control of Congress from 1994 to 2006, yeah, for a little while there was a balanced budget, which was primarily due to the dot-com boom more than anything else. Really didn't have a whole lot to do. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they worked with President Clinton. They managed to hammer out a balanced budget. Okay, I'll give House Republicans a little bit of credit for that back in the late 90s. But then Bush comes into office and then right away it's spend, 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 and then we go and have these ridiculous wars. We have ridiculous spending increases, more government bloating than ever before, and that was under Republicans, and they're here telling you, we're fiscally conservative. We have Republic, we have conservative values. No, you don't. You don't because you're willing, at the drop of a hat, you're willing to give in to what Obama wanted. Now, I had this idea right after Obama won his reelection. I said, you know what Republicans should do? This way, nobody can blame them. Whatever the president wants, just give it to them. Whatever Democrats want, you just capitulate, you give in. You, you just decide, okay, whatever you guys propose, we'll sign off on it. We'll play ball with you for four years. Let's see what happens. Almost in a weird way, sabotaging the country just to further your own interest. That would, that would have been a very interesting idea. Now, I, I don't support it, but at least it's a, it was a fun theory to kick around. Maybe that's exactly what the Republicans are doing. They are deciding to just lie down. They are not standing by any of the principles that they ran on. At least most of them. I don't want to broad brush and say every single Republican did this because there were Republicans that voted against it. But in the Senate, this bill that passed uh, that passed through, eighty nine to eight, or eighty nine to nine, and then in the House the bill passes. They they made a slight modification, I guess, or whatever. But basically, it passed. President Obama signing the bill. So that's that's it. Tax increases are coming, and I would have almost been at least okay. I would have been able to accept tax increases if if spending cuts were implemented. But this bill has virtually no spending cuts whatsoever. What's the ratio here? I believe for every $41 of tax increase, there's a dollar worth of spending cuts. That's the worst deal I've ever heard in my entire life. 
there's virtually no spending cuts in this bill whatsoever. And the amount of revenue that they're scheduled to generate from this, the amount of revenue is stiflingly low. It barely pays off the interest that accrues on the debt every year. Wow. I mean, so impressive. And then you combine it with just virtually no spending cuts whatsoever. And then they say, well, we're going to address the spending cuts issue because we still have to deal with it because it, it, there is still sort of a fiscal cliff, if you will, that's looming on the horizon. We still have to address the spending cuts issue. You know what? They're never going to address it. They say by the end of February, we have to address this. We put it, They put off the spending portion of it until late February. They're not going to address it by February. That is not going to happen. If you are under the delusion that somehow there are going to be spending cuts coming out of this Congress, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, Republican or Democrat, you know how I feel about both of them. It is not going to happen. There is not going to be a significant cut in spending. Republicans, most of them claim to be fiscally conservative. They're not. And this is just evidence right here. There are a few. We had a representative that's now a senator here from the state of Arizona, Jeff Flake. This guy says no to everything. He is the penultimate. I mean, he's the Tea Party should worship this guy. Whether you like him or not, he ran on the idea, I'm not going to approve any earmarks. I'm not going to approve any pork barrel spending. Absolutely no to tax increases. And he stood by it. He said, no, 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 no to all of it. Whether you agree with it or not. I mean, there were... Um, there were proposals, there were a certain earmarks that would have benefited the state of Arizona. He said, absolutely not, not until we get this budget in order. No, no, no. And to, at least to some degree, I may not agree with that in, that entire plan, but to some degree, I at least respect it because he actually went to office, campaigned on an idea of, I'm not spending a dime. We are not spending a dime until this all gets hammered out. And he stood by it. Very few other people have done that. And Congress is going to reelect, uh, or the House is going to reelect John Boehner as Speaker of the House, in spite of the fact that he gave in to this. And Republicans, the talking head Republicans out there, the pundits, the political punditry, are very upset with John Boehner, and they're very upset with House uh, Republicans and Senate Republicans. And they should be, because they abandon these so-called fiscal conservative values. I tell you what, right now, Republicans are, are really, they are the biggest hypocrites out there. Democrats will tell you, we want to increase taxes and we want to spend money. We want to have all these government programs. And at least you know that going in. So even if you're against Democrats and even if you're against the liberal philosophy, at least you know what you're getting. Republicans, like Democrats don't lie about it. They just say, look, we're going to raise your taxes. That is going to happen. We want people to, quote, pay their fair share, whatever that even means. We want people to pay their fair But at least you know that. Republicans will look you right in the face, America, and they'll say to you, yep, when we get in there, we're going to kick some ass. We're going to take some names. We're going to balance this budget. We are going to drive down the deficit spending that is going on. We're going to hold this president accountable. No, you're not. You're going to give in to him, whatever his demands are. You could have put up a blockade. No, we can't. We, we, you have control of the House of Representatives. Do you understand? The, the American people elected you to be in control of the House of Representatives. Your constituents are actually asking you to be somewhat responsible. We have a $16 trillion debt in this country. $16 trillion. Interest rates are low, but even so, 
uh, the amount of interest we pay on the debt is stifling. We're paying $100 billion on the debt in interest. That's our interest on the debt every year. I can't believe people will vote for people knowing knowing that they've lied to you before and knowing that they're going that they're lying to you now and knowing that they're not going to fulfill their promises in the future and you keep electing these people that is the most bizarre part of this country sometimes it is the most staggering part of republican and democrat mindsets of this two party nonsense that we have and the fiscal cliff stuff people get so scared by a term and they don't even understand what it really means and what its ramifications are its ramifications were so minimal if this country is headed back into recession, it's because we're spending a lot more money than we take in by about a trillion dollars a year. We spend way too much. And Republicans say, well, we're, we're just kicking the can down the road for a little while, but we're going to implement um, spending cuts. In 1982, President Ronald Reagan did the same thing that's going on now. They said, all right, we're going to increase taxes. All right, we're going to increase taxes on the rich and we're going to address this spending issue. And even then, they at least the margin was like, two to one or something for every $2 in tax increases, they at least cut a dollar in spending. It was something like that. So at least, yeah, the ratio wasn't exactly one to one. It wasn't very favorable, but at least there were some decent spending cuts a little bit. It wasn't great, but it was better than this deal. 1990, George H.W. Bush was the president and he made the very big mistake of saying, read my lips, no new taxes. And then he was really in a forced position where he had to sign a bill that would increase taxes he, because he had a Democrat Congress. There really wasn't much of anything he could do about it. They, they were even looking at, uh, and some Republicans were even on board with it, they were looking at perhaps a presidential override, a veto override. So he essentially had to sign off on it. And that sank him. That's why President Clinton uh, took office because all they did was they looked back at read my lips, no new taxes, and that sank George H.W. Bush. That was his uh, that was his albatross. Yeah, he handled the, the Persian Gulf War appropriately for the most part, according to the American people. He at one point had a 91% approval rating. Let's not forget, George H.W. Bush was a popular president for a while. But read my lips, no new taxes during the campaign of 1992 wound up sinking him because they said, oh, yeah, that's right. You did say no new taxes. And oh, look, we had a big tax increase. So this is the problem. And uh, that's the fiscal cliff. And uh, tomorrow, the 113th congressional uh, session begins. And John Boehner will likely be reelected as Speaker of the House. I'm very sure of it. Republicans are, are going to keep him there. Harry Reid will remain Senate Majority Leader. Nancy Pelosi will remain uh, Democrat, uh, the House Leader in the Democratic uh, side of the aisle. So th there you go. I, I just get so worked up about this. I, I just can't believe that people still buy into this stuff. And I know some of you might say, well, Mike, you're a libertarian and, you know, you, you just are, are going to feel this way no matter what. It, this is just objective stuff. This, these are just the facts. You've been lied to and deceived by Republicans and by Democrats and you're getting tax increases and this is what's happening and, and you're not even, you're like, all right, well, uh, I guess they just, they signed a deal, they, they got something done and that's all I care about. The stock market's not going to crash. It wasn't going to crash anyway. Do you see what happened? Because they thought a deal was happening, 
The stock market is up today. It was up, uh, what, like 200 points. And, and tomorrow it'll be up again. And then it'll be back to business as usual. And then people will realize, oh, this really doesn't affect 99% of the market. And the, and the part of the market it does affect are the people that actually create the jobs. So the market will take a big dump again. That's what you don't understand is when you increase taxes on people making more than $400,000 a year, and I know they're evil, I know they're bastards, I know people that are rich in this country, according to some, have never done anything to earn it, and they're just terrible, awful human beings, and they're like worse than Hitler. I understand that we have a very big class envy and class warfare issue in this country. I get it. I get that's why people want to see tax increases on the rich. The problem with the rich people is that they do create a lot of the jobs in this country. They're the ones that generate all the tax revenue or most of the tax revenue collected. They're the ones that create the jobs. They're the ones that invest the money. They're the ones that drive the ship. They're the engine for this economy. You might think that the middle class and the lower class, that's who drives it. No, they're important. They're important pieces but the middle class wouldn't be the middle class if you didn't have somebody up at the top creating the jobs, creating the, the market, setting up uh, products that people want to buy, investing in middle class guys who invent an idea and then take it out and, and start shopping it around and, and create a market for said idea, create a product. That's what happens. Rich guys, a lot of rich guys were once middle class guys or poor guys. I'm going to try explaining this to people and they'll just say, nope, they're rich. Uh, we should increase the taxes on them. I'm not against tax increases for certain things, which I'll talk about right now, as a matter of fact. I'll tell you one thing I am in favor of in terms of a tax increase. So there's been a lot of discussion about the assault weapons issue. And that there is inevitably going to be legislation coming around sometime in the next several months regarding an assault weapons ban or some type of limited access for various types of weapons. And what are we going to do about our schools? What are we going to do to keep people safe? Is an assault weapons ban really the answer? Da, 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 da. Look, whether you think an assault weapons ban is, is going to work or not, whether you think it's the answer or not, the reality is it's happening. It's going to happen in some capacity, whether it's just like 1994 when we had that ban or it's an even more extensive ban than before. I'm telling you it's going to be an even more extensive ban. Some people say nothing will happen at all. I disagree with that. I think what happens in this country is we we have a tragedy or we have something that happens and we are a very reactionary society. And regardless of what the uh, the outcome is and regardless of its correlation to said tragedy, we decide all right, we got to do something. Let's ban guns or let's ban this or let's do that without really thinking it through. We just react and boom, we just do something. And, and so that's what's going to happen. An assault weapons ban is going to happen. But never mind that. So the question is, what are we going to do with our schools? How are we going to keep people safe? And there's been a lot of speculation. I say this is what you do. I say we institute, we have a resource officer at every single school in the country, every single public school, elementary, junior high, high school, every single one gets a resource officer, a trained police officer that is on duty all the time at that school, period. That would help keep our children safe. And, and here in the state of Arizona, I know our legislature, some people are on board with that idea, but I don't think it'll ever pass because it means a tax increase. 
and people again, they're willing to have a tax increase for issues they don't even know what they're about with this fiscal cliff. They're okay with Republicans and Democrats increasing taxes for no apparent reason. But then if we actually bring up a legitimate reason to increase taxes, and it would be a, like we're talking pennies a year to the average person, you would barely even notice this tax increase for something legitimate, like let's put police officers at our school. We're already doing this across the country. There are counties in various states, there are parts of the country where there are already full-time resource officers on duty at various campuses. Why not just make that across the nation? There you go. Schools would be a lot safer. But see, the problem is this would cause you have to have a tax increase to be able to fund this. Again, the average person wouldn't really feel it. We're talking pennies on the dollar to the average person every year. All right. It wouldn't be a significant increase whatsoever. Now, knowing that that probably won't happen in this state, our attorney general in the state of Arizona, Tom Horn, says, all right, it probably won't happen. So my backup plan is I'll have the principal at a school designate either himself or somebody else, one person, to get full training, either a teacher, himself, another administrator, whatever, to get full training so that they can have access to a firearm on campus. Now, the firearm would be locked up. It would be secured in some sort of a, a storage closet or a, a lockbox, a safe, whatever. And then in the time where it would be needed, the person would be able to access it. They would be the only one that has access to it. And uh, they would be able to uh, help out in that situation. And this isn't like just your average training of the pointy end goes away from you, you know, when it comes to training about guns. No, this would be a full, a, a very prolonged training session about knowing when to shoot, about gun safety, about uh, tactical training, all, all the various, um, you know, very similar to what a security officer or even a, a police officer may go through. So we're talking about relatively rigorous training, at least somewhat so. Uh, but I, I just, to me, that's a stupid idea. Just put a police officer on every campus. There you go. That, to me, sounds like a very reasonable solution. And as for assault weapons bans, look, again, we've talked about it. I know that um, I even have some comments on my website about it. Let me let me actually read those because um, I haven't reacted to these in writing, so I might as well talk about it on the air. Let's see here. This first comment is from Oliver. Now, he's one of our Australian listeners, and they have a completely different attitude on guns there, but... He says um, that as much as our nation, referring to the U.S., was founded on guns and violence and your right to bear arms, it doesn't mean that that's the right way to go about things in this day and age. Now, he's talking about one of the reasons I said that this country is the way it is about guns is that, uh, at least in part, is that our beginnings were founded on a revolution. We were founded on an armed rebellion and we felt that it was our right to keep and bear arms, to protect ourselves from the government, to protect ourselves from uh, from an overintrusive, overindulgent, uh, an oppressive government and all this sort of thing. And that's that's one of the ways this country was founded. And I speculated that that is indeed one of the reasons that it is so ingrained in our society is because that's how it was. That's how our beginnings were. He says, all nations start with a bloody beginning, some more than others. However, times change. 
a lot of time has changed from colonial America to current America. Based on your argument, America will never give up weapons because of its history. He says, what about 100, 200, or even 1,000 years from now? He says, surely you don't expect the mentality to just stay as primitive as it was back in the founding days when it was much simpler and more dangerous. Well, just to respond to that, I don't think that's the only reason that we feel we have the right to keep and bear arms here. My, look, I understand. <clears throat> it's not about overthrowing the government. It's not about an armed rebellion or anything like that. To me, I think people have the right to defend themselves. In this day and age, let's face it, criminals will carry guns. Whether they're banned or not, criminals are going to use firearms. Whether you want to accept it or not, a knife is not going to beat a gun, all right, generally speaking, all right? Uh, if you want to defend yourself against somebody who may, in fact, be carrying a firearm, who plans to invade your home, who plans to do you harm or maybe steal your stuff, or, or you don't know what their intention is of coming in your house, but if you want to defend yourself, I think that is certainly your right to do so. Your property, your personal space, the safety of your family. I don't see anything wrong with um, with defending yourself against that sort of thing. I have a shotgun. I do not own an assault rifle, all right? I believe in personal protection, and I believe that others should also do that. That doesn't necessarily mean I believe that people should, that everybody should stock up on, on 50 caliber tripod mounted uh, machine guns. I don't think so. But I do believe that people have a right to reasonable defense. And I think reasonable defense in the 21st century, using your own argument, is that you're going to have a gun to protect yourself. And anybody that thinks that, you, that banning guns is somehow an answer is absolutely kidding themselves. And especially in the United States. And my point about the United States, too, is it's so ingrained in our culture. See, unlike Australia, unlike Canada, and unlike uh, the U.K., we have more guns than people. We have a lot more guns than people. And you're never, the, the people, look, right now we have more people going out and buying guns than ever before. Guns are selling at a fevered pitch, even more so than the run-up to the election. Now, guns are flying off the shelves left and right. Do you really think those people that are buying guns now in this fevered pitch are ever going to give them up or ever want to? Now, some people are doing it because they're collectors. Let's be honest. Some people just collect guns as as a, as a hobby. They they have antique guns. They have modern guns. They have every kind of gun. Some people, I, I guarantee you, there are some people that do have tripod mounted machine guns, and they have very heavy weaponry. Guarantee you, some people have that. Most of them probably for collection. You might think they're a little crazy. Maybe they are, but they have that. All right. But the people that are buying assault rifles, like, you know, they're going out of style right now because, well, it's just how we are in this country. When we know something's about to get banned, you're going to go out and buy it like crazy. But we also know that bans don't work. We also know that bans are impractical. We tried banning alcohol in this country. We actually banned alcohol. How did that work out? Alcohol is dangerous. Alcohol leads to the destruction of the liver, the brain. How many people abuse alcohol on a daily basis? Alcoholism just runs rampant 
in this country and around the world, frankly. People get behind the wheel of a car after they've had too much to drink. They kill somebody. It happens every major holiday, especially like on New Year's Eve. How many people had too much to drink, got behind the wheel, killed somebody? I bet that number, it's in the dozens across the country. I bet dozens of people died New Year's Eve or New Year's Day from drunk drivers. I guarantee you. Alcoholism, alcohol, and its related issues kill a lot of people every year. Now, there may be some health benefits to it. There are certainly a lot of studies out there that suggest that a glass of wine or two glasses of wine every day or so many glasses of wine every week or a glass of beer or whatever, that there are some health benefits. Certainly, I'm not saying that there's not. I'm not against alcohol. But uh, if we're going to make an argument against guns, let's make an argument against alcohol. Tobacco, for example, cigarettes, serves absolutely no purpose. Even less so than, than alcohol, cigarettes have no redeeming value whatsoever. There is nothing you can say that is good about smoking a cigarette. It is dangerous. It is harmful. It is carcinogenic. There are 70 known carcinogens in any average cigarette. There are thousands of ingredients in there. God knows exactly what you're putting in your body, but one thing's for sure, it leads to cancer. It leads to hardening of the arteries. It leads to disgusting mouth disease and heart disease and, and uh, certainly can increase your risk of strokes. Nothing redeeming about it. And I'll guarantee you the complications from lung cancer from people that smoke way too many of those death sticks is far more than the number of people that are killed by guns every single year. And yet alcohol, uh, uh, cigarettes, tobacco, it is very widely available right there. You can go down to any convenience store. You can pick up cigarettes. You can smoke yourself to death. Now, I understand the difference between all of them. I understand that a gun, its sole purpose is to kill. But a cigarette's sole purpose, really, there's no other purpose. It leads to death if you smoke enough of them. It leads to at least cancer. It leads to health problems. It will lead to your doom if you smoke them long enough. Nothing redeeming about cigarettes whatsoever. And I know it, it's just a, it's a victimless crime. It just hurts the person that's smoking it. Well, except for secondhand smoke. And, you know, people still are out there doing it. So I, I guess I, I, what I don't understand about the gun thing is we have a tragedy. We react. We get crazy. We say it's time to ban guns. Yet every single day, people are dying of cancer from cigarettes. Every single day, people die because of alcoholism and alcoholics. How much, how much of that is being talked about? Oh, yeah, there's PSAs from MAD and RAD and, you know, all these other organizations. And, yeah, people think about it if you're directly affected by it. If you have somebody in your family that's an alcoholic or if you have somebody in your family that smoked themselves like crazy. My mom smoked cigarettes for, what, 30-something years? And she, um, she had two brain aneurysms. Now, we can't necessarily say that it was directly related to her smoking, but she was an otherwise healthy woman. She had a family uh, risk, I guess. There's, a, there's a certainly a risk of brain aneurysms in the family, but I, I guarantee you that smoking did her absolutely no favors whatsoever. Guarantee it. And again, I'm not even disagreeing with people about assault weapons and that guns are dangerous, especially in the wrong hands, and that we have a problem with the mentally ill in this country. I'm not disagreeing with any of that. What I'm saying is my, my whole point in this entire rant is just that 
why is it that we only talk about guns? We only talk because of the violence and we, and we react to it and then it sort of falls off the table. And then nobody talks about cigarettes. Oh, because you choose that. You don't choose to be shot in a restaurant or, or while you're walking down the street or while you're at a school. You don't choose that. So since it's a willing choice that somebody makes to to put a cigarette in their mouth, then I guess it's, uh, it's okay. But then what about the people that are out driving around on the roads and a drunk driver careens out of control and hits them? Well, there's not a choice there. So the banning something doesn't necessarily mean it's the answer. The, the answer is lies within education, better information, and being a little bit more wise and culturally sensitive and, and understanding of a problem and dealing with it at its root. Dealing with it at its root would be handling your mentally ill from a young age, handling it from a very early start. Getting control of a situation. That's where I'm coming from. Because at this point, I think that's the best answer. Putting some police on, on school campuses. Every campus, every public school should have a resource officer. As for alcoholism and, and tobacco use, you're never going to really do anything about that either. <laughs> we, we tax cigarettes at such an insane rate in this country. Some states have such ridiculous taxes on tobacco. A pack of cigarettes, a pack of cigarettes costs like 10 or $15 in some states. And that's set up as an intentional disincentive to stop people from smoking. And they still smoke. And there is nothing more disgusting than cigarettes. Is there, is there really anything more disgusting than that? And I know people that smoke and, and I, I love people in my life that I know that have smoked cigarettes. And it's like, I just... Otherwise, very intelligent people, and you just wonder why they get involved and why they do it. So I put the two together because, frankly, uh, they are very similar in a lot of ways. And again, this isn't me going on and saying, oh, we, uh, we can't ban assault weapons. We can't do it. I'm not saying we can't because we will. I'm just saying let's, let's think about it. Let's think about the problems instead of just banning something or instead of just, okay, that's it. We're cutting you off of this. Let's start at a very young age. Now, look, cigarette smoking in this country is down. Less people smoke cigarettes per capita today than they did in 1965. Why is that? Because education. We educate people about the dangers of cigarette smoking. We don't educate people about firearms in this country. We, as violent as a society as we are, and as much as we, you know, we uh, talk about how we try to be an enlightened and informed society... We treat guns as a taboo topic. We put them in our movies. We put them in our video games. We put them in every aspect of our culture except the most important area, and that's education. We don't educate students about the importance of gun safety at a young age. We don't do it. We don't educate people about firearms because it's just wrong. The, it's just like sex, for example. You know, in this country, most of our education was centered around abstinence. We just told kids, ah, abstain from sex. Don't have sex until you're married or don't have sex until you're age like 27 and you're with someone that you know you're going to be with for the rest of your life. Don't have, we try to encourage abstinence in this country. And how did that work out? My point is that you have to have not only education, but it has to be the right education and you have to come at it with a good approach. The approach is not just, 
don't do something, get rid of it, it's bad. You have to educate and you have to inform and you have to do so in a very enlightened way. And that's how you handle it. And you have to deal with your mentally ill. And, it, it, and look, I'll say this. If we're not going to deal with the mentally ill and if we're not going to deal with these other problems, then yeah, I guess our access to firearms is a problem. Because if you're not going to handle all these other issues, now those people are still probably going to get them, but you have to then really be concerned about people's access to them. You do. If you're not going to be willing to step up and take measures and, and handle the other parts of society, and if your sole answer is, hey, do this, uh, ban, then yeah, then you better make sure that you step up and, and lock everything up and lock everything away. I don't know. It's a very complicated issue. I'm not going to sit here and try and profess to you that I have all the answers. And as I sit here right now, I know that people are, are debating this in their own heads. And that people are going, Mike, you're crazy. Or Mike, you're right. Or, or I don't even know where you're coming from on this. I, I don't know. My point is, I just want people to think. And I want you to think about this from a, a very broad-based perspective. Never mind what your own personal opinions are right now. I really want you to delve deep. And I really want you to think about this. Because I know I have been. And I think other people should too. And I've, I've sort of been postulating in this segment. I've sort of been playing a little devil's advocate and I've been throwing out a lot of different ideas here. And I think that's very important to do that. I think a really educated and informed discussion. I think the redneck, backwoods, NRA toting, you'll never get that gun out of my dead hand. I think that kind of person needs to sit down a little bit. They need to shut their mouths. And I think the people that are on the other side that go, oh God, the guns, let's make sure that we ban all guns. Oh, I'm so scared to get the firearms. You know, I think all those people, the extremists on either side just need to shut up and they need to let people that are very rational and informed and, you know, people that, have a little bit of sensibility come together and really have a discussion about how to better society and what to do about some of these issues. And that's how you handle these things. You know, the, um, the extremists on, on either side, you're never going to reason with them. They're extremists. Luckily, most people in this country are not that way. And I know outside of this country, I know there's a lot of people that think that we're nothing, but we got to have our guns and, you know, because we have these shows like American Guns or, you know, all these violent movies that we put out and our violent video games and all of our violence. But, you know, the majority of Americans, we're not violent people, I don't think. I don't think America is a violent country by nature. I think we had violent beginnings. I think we were founded on a violent sort of a, a takeover of a government, we booted the Brits out. But I don't think as a whole, we're a violent country. I think we have an issue with violence, but I don't think that that makes us a violent society necessarily. But that's another topic for another day. All right, look, we've gone way, way, way long in this segment. Like this is ridiculous. Uh, I got to take a break. We'll come back. And I, I want to do a little bit of a, a year-end wrap-up because we didn't have our, our year-end uh, show this year because I, I wasn't here for the entire year. So we don't have our montage kind of program or anything. But but I do want to give you some of the highlights of the year, go through some of the things that happened in 2012, some things you may remember, some things you may have forgotten about, and just sort of wrap it all up. Maybe we'll sneak in a stupid news story and we'll talk about some other stuff also. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com
don't know where to go to Why don't you go where fashion sits Putting on the Ritz Different types who wear a day coat Pants with stripes and cutaway coat Perfect fits Putting on the Ritz Dressed up like a million dollar trooper Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper Segment number three, it's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Wednesday, January 2nd, 2012. Yes, one hit wonder bumpers in honor of Psy's big performance on New Year's Rockin' Eve. I hope you're paying attention, Psy, because you will be Spando Ballet very soon. That's who this is, incidentally. A little Spando Ballet for you. Accompaniment by yours truly. I know this much is true. Just uh, turn out a little bit of the reverb. Just play some tunes for you the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> Whatever. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, michaelgroff.com is the place to go. While you're there, leave your comments, questions, suggestions, feedback on this or any other podcast of ours. Sign up, get registered, and you'll get notifications every time a brand new podcast is posted. Or, of course, you can donate to this show. All of that and much more can be done at the portal, the extravagant, the wonderful, and extremely awesome michaelgroff.com. It's much, much harder to sell that when I've got Spando Ballet in the background. I will admit, I like this song, though. So, you know what? It's my show, my podcast. I'm playing it. I don't know why I like this song. I know there's nothing about it that I should like, but it's one of those 80s tunes I like. I, listen, most of the bumpers that we play on this show, I like. Some of them I'd rather not admit to liking, but... Actually, I got a message. Uh, one of the listeners over the holiday wrote like a super sweet message. This guy says that he's been a longtime listener. He just thanks me for the show and for the podcast and that it uh, gets him through the day and uh, while he works and all that. And said that he even likes the bumpers. He thinks that that's a, a great part of the show. And that's, listen, whenever I get really great feedback from listeners, and I, I appreciate everybody. I appreciate all the feedback. It's very humbling. It's very awesome. And I, I really do appreciate 
everybody that uh, takes the time to download and listen to this program, as sometimes infrequent as it may be. Everybody that supports it, I really do appreciate you. And uh, I know it sounds very mushy and lame, but uh, I must admit, it's uh, it's great. I got so many nice messages, actually, about the show over the last uh, couple of weeks, over the Christmas sort of holiday. It was great. All right. We didn't have a year in review show as we have had in years past, whether it's the podcast or back in the live show era, we used to have a year in review kind of show where we take some of the best moments of the year on the show and or some of the big news stories or the funny ones or the stupid ones or whatever. And we sort of have a compilation show or sometimes even a two part show with best of stuff. But I, I don't have that because we didn't really have that many shows and we weren't on the entire year. So instead, I just want to sort of go back over some of the list of things that happened during the year and some of the big stories that were that happened during 2012. Everybody else does it. Now, I don't have a countdown. This isn't like a professional thing. I, I don't have a lot of stuff to go along with it here, or production pieces. But it was just 2012. It was really a weird, weird year. And one of the biggest stories of the year that it was huge for about a week or two and then just completely disappeared and nobody talked about it again was the death of Whitney Houston. That was one of the big celebrity deaths that happened this year. Whitney Houston, dead. She died of uh, uh, the the cocktail of drugs that she was on, died in the bathtub, and it was just um, a, a big story, not even for a week or so. And then sort of went away. Michael Jackson was covered for weeks and weeks. And I realize Michael Jackson is a slightly bigger star than Whitney Houston. But Whitney Houston was still huge. Huge. That was just one of the big celebrity deaths this year. Neil Armstrong. First man on the moon. Neil Armstrong died this year. Not really much coverage about that. One of those things that happened, though, and... Uh, other big uh, celebrity, lots of lots of celebrity deaths this year. Obviously, Dick Clark. We talked about that earlier in the show. Love Dick Clark, and I know a lot of people thought that after he had the stroke and there was various medical issues that he had, um, it wasn't really that big of a surprise that he died. But um, indeed, passed away. Dick Clark. Uh. A lot of songwriters, a lot of the, this kind of stuff. There's there's certainly a lot of the celebrity deaths and some of the big stories of the year also. Obviously not a very good year for the word or the name Sandy. Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy as it became known because it really wasn't even officially a hurricane when it made landfall. But Superstorm Sandy, the devastation it caused, the fact that it was a very hyped storm in some ways did live up to the hype. In some ways, thankfully, it did not. Nevertheless, produced lots of rain, lots of flooding, deaths, killed people all the way from the Caribbean, the Bahamas, up the East Coast, even into portions of Pennsylvania, New York, uh, certainly caused just many, many problems, will continue to cause problems even in 2013, the aftermath and all of that because of uh, people who lost lives, businesses, homes destroyed, the rebuilding efforts, they still continue across the Northeast as a result of Superstorm Sandy. Obviously, Sandy Hook Elementary, that's very recent on our minds. We just talked about that in the last segment. You know, before I continue with this, and I want to make sure I say this because I know 
it may be brought up again. And I, I had a little bit of a moment there in the break to reflect on this. When I say I don't think America is a violent culture by nature, I, I don't think that the stereotype that other nations have of us, that we just run around with guns blazing or that we're just a violent people that we just punch each other in the face randomly or whatever it is. I don't think that happens here. I don't think that we're a violent culture like that. We put out a lot of violence. We have a violent undertone to our society. Our movies, a lot of our biggest movies, a lot of our movies that are released all the time are about violence. A lot of our TV shows are violent shows or graphic shows. We certainly have a violent sort of thought process in this culture. So don't confuse it. I'm, but I don't think we are a violent people by nature. But we, we have violent themes within our culture. So I, I, I want to separate the two. Our, our products are about violence. We're very hung up on sex here. You know, sex sells and everything. But you know, there are other parts of the country that are far more sexual than the United States. You think of us as, oh yeah, we always have the hot chicks in the beer commercials or in the whatever. We're all about the hot chicks. And we're all about the dudes with their shirts off. And we're all about the... But you know what? Honestly... Other cultures are way less hung up on sex than we are here in the U.S. Meanwhile, other cultures are much more hung up on violence than we are. They don't allow violence on their on shows like we do. They don't. Um, they they have much more stringent restrictions on blood and gore and things like that. Even in video games, we do not. So every culture has their own sort of restrict restrictive nature or things that they're hung up on. Like I. When I took a class in college, a German course, uh, our instructor brought in magazines from Germany and from Denmark. And there's like naked people in there. And these are magazines that are like in doctor's offices or magazines that you just find in, in various places that are, you know, right out there in the open. They're not necessarily sexual per se, but we think of it that way. We think we see a naked woman in a magazine and we think sex right away. When in the, in their case, like on their soap operas and whatnot, he brought in a soap opera and I can't remember if it was from Germany or France, but there's like naked people in there, like frontal nudity. We don't have that on our soap operas, not our daytime soap operas, certainly not. Because our FCC, we're so uptight about that. Oh, we'll have somebody getting shot and getting slaughtered and stabbed right through the gut on TV. But if we dare show nudity, if we dare show the human form, that is, that's somehow wrong. So I just wanted to make sure I clarify those comments. But anyway, going back to our year in review here. Um, what else? Uh, what, the other big story. So yeah, Sandy Hook Elementary School, the fallout from all that, that is obviously going to continue into 2013. The discussion about guns in this country, the discussion about um, all that. James Holmes, the shooting in Colorado that happened in July. That's another big topic. And that was another big story about guns and violence. Um, certainly. Uh, the tropical storm season in general. The fact that, by and large, it really wasn't that, uh, aside from Sandy, really didn't have a whole lot. We had a big rain from a tropical storm in the southeastern U.S., Florida, Georgia, Alabama, really got dumped on in June. But other than that, really was not a, uh, a, a season of great consequence for the United States, aside from a couple of tropical systems. And then, obviously, at the very end, Superstorm Sandy, which almost you can't even count necessarily as part of the tropical season. 
Naturally, one of the other big stories of the year was the re-election of President Barack Obama to another four-year term. The fact that the Senate retained its Democrat majority, the House retained its Republican majority, talked a little bit about all that in the last segment, but that was a huge story in 2012. The fact that a lot of pundits predicted that President Obama would lose, Mitt Romney would take over. Um, and then there's, of course, many little stories within the campaign that came along. Of course, Mitt Romney and that tape about the 47% that don't pay their way and all that. That was, in other words, in um, many of the various political sites that I go through and a lot of the stuff that I read in preparation for this program, that was highlighted as probably the big turning point in the election for a lot of people. The first presidential debate went Mitt Romney's way. The other two, kind of a toss-up. And... Uh, of course, uh, some people highlight President Obama's snarky comment about, uh, you know, ships and 1916 and bayonets and all that. So, and, you know, actually, I thought that was a very funny line. People thought it was snarky and, and it was, but it was great, actually. I, I, Not that I'm a big fan of the president, but I will say that was a gotcha. And that was sort of a little bit of a turn um, against Mitt Romney as well. The fact that Mitt Romney was even elected, that he was uh, put up there as the uh, Republicans' presidential nominee. Another big story, the primary, Newt Gingrich, Mike Huckabee. Uh, certainly there was a lot of news about um, Rick Santorum because he was involved in all this. And all the others, uh, That uh, Ron Paul, another big disappointment for Ron Paul who didn't even bother to campaign in a lot of different states. Gary Johnson, the Libertarian Party, made a big push. Libertarians got more votes in the popular vote than at any other time in the history of the United States. That was big for the Libertarians, but still fell well short of even my low expectations. But hopefully, um, Libertarian politics will dominate. And you know, in some ways it did, because another big story from the year, marijuana was legalized in two states. Medical marijuana was approved in another Gay marriage has now become legal in another state. Uh, these are all big things that happened in 2012. Naturally, we talked about this too, the Mayan calendar, the big prediction of doomsday and all of the the leading up, you know, the movie 2012 and all this other stuff. And of course, nothing happened. But that was another big aspect. What else? Uh, Howard Stern became a judge in America's Got Talent making a network television debut, and it worked out pretty well for him. It was pretty big news, a pretty big deal uh, in terms of media. How about um, Larry King stepped down, Piers Morgan took his place, and Piers Morgan, uh, well, I don't know, the people thought he was not doing a very good job, and then he comes out and has that a very controversial sort of... Uh, interview and then people say now people are saying let's deport Piers Morgan do you know that the, on the White House website this is absolutely on the White House website there is a um, there was a petition up for uh, they wanted Piers Morgan to be deported uh, people are so remarkable sometimes I, I really I don't know I don't necessarily like Piers Morgan or anything, but the guy has an opinion. When in this country did it become bad to express an opinion? Just because it doesn't jive with most of yours, when did it become bad? I know he's a snarky, arrogant ass. He's one of these dudes, but 
I got to at least give some props to the guy for having an opinion. He goes out, he expresses it, and um, he has a constitutional right to do so, or at least to not be oppressed for doing so, and yet you want to all of a sudden say, well, in this one case, we want to deport him. Let's, let's kick him out of the country for daring to express an opinion against guns. Who cares? He's an entertainer. God knows if he even really believes what he says. Because there's a lot of people in the entertainment business that have an opinion that when they're on the air, and then when they get off the air, they do something completely different. What else happened during the year? Oh, Japan got hit by another earthquake. Now, after their huge, devastating earthquake and tsunami in 2011, Japan had another major earthquake just a couple of weeks ago. Not a lot of people talked about that. Didn't receive a lot of airplay, even though, yeah, there was no tsunami, but there were people that were um, injured. Um, it, the uh, earthquake was over a seven on the Richter scale, so it was a big deal. Although Japan's infrastructure and their architecture and all that it really helped prevent the loss of life in that situation, but still it was a, a major deal. The 2012 Olympic Games in London took center stage for several weeks during the summer. And, of course, Michael Phelps, really, he if he would have pushed himself a little bit more, even by his own admission, had he tried a little bit harder, he might have even been even greater, had even more medals really done uh, something that no one else would have probably ever been able to duplicate again. Nevertheless, showing there by him, Usain Bolt. Oh, what about, never mind all that, what about Lance Armstrong? Now, some of these are big sports stories. I have a lot of big sports stories from the year, too. Lance Armstrong. The cheater, the doper, the jackass that is Lance Armstrong and everything that came out about him, the fact that this guy is a major fraud. And you know what? He survived cancer. Good for him. But everything else about his life, as far as most people are concerned, turned out to be just a big sham. What a douche. What a piece of crap. Lance Armstrong. And, you know, at first when the allegations came out of cheating... A lot of people defended this guy. A lot of people were in his corner, myself included, because really you always have to wonder when the French come out against an American because we, you know, a big American comes along and dominates their little bicycle race and everybody thinks uh, that he was up to something. Well, it turns out that he was. And so if I'm going to be in the guy's corner, when the evidence comes out against him, I'm not one of these guys that the very few that are still defending him. No, the guy's a cheater. He's a jackass, and um, he lost all of his titles. He was stripped of all of his Tour de France wins and all of his prominence. Good. Good. Who needs him? I don't really care much about cycling, but anytime you have a, a person that takes an athletic endeavor and cheats it, a la Baroid Bonds, uh, Mark McGuire, anybody else, any of these jackasses, that dope or use steroids or do whatever they do. I, I want them all to get caught and I want them to be thrown out of the sport. And he has really, he was excommunicated basically from cycling. And uh, there is nobody happier about that than me. And I'm not even a cycling fan. Imagine cycling fans are probably ecstatic about it. Screw them. Uh, so that was another big one. Uh, uh, the Miami Heat winning an NBA championship. LeBron James and... All of the crap that he received for making the move to South Beach, taking his talents to South Beach. Well, won an NBA championship in 2012. 
What about the San Francisco Giants absolutely just taking the whooping stick to the Detroit Tigers this year in the World Series? Big story. Big story in baseball, the expansion of the playoffs. What else? Oh, Melky Cabrera, another guy caught cheating, 50-game suspension. The, he was on the Giants. He was in line to become uh, probably the National League MVP, but he was booted. And um, by the way, he has a job again. I think the, if I'm not mistaken, the Toronto Blue Jays signed him tentatively to a contract. Uh, although I might be wrong on that, but I, I, I know that he does have a job again. Melky Cabrera. What other big sports stories went on this year? Eh, the NHL went in another lockout, and frankly, aside from a few people in Canada, nobody else really cares. I miss hockey. I like hockey. I really do. I am one of the few people, especially here in the Southwest, that likes hockey. The Phoenix Coyotes, really, I enjoy hockey a lot. The, the Coyotes made it to the Western Conference Finals. They finally broke that first-round curse, and they looked like they were on a on a good path here, and the city of Glendale was finally starting to embrace the team, and it was going well for them, and then the NHL has a lockout. The NFL had replacement referees for three games, one of the worst blown calls in a Monday night football game or in any football game ever took place. And after that, the regular officials came back. The NFL said, all right, all right, we give whatever you want. That was, that was, that was a nightmare. That really, I couldn't even believe that. And, uh, I don't know, the LA Clippers the rise of the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers are the best basketball team in Los Angeles. They're the best basketball team in California. Frankly, they're the best basketball team in the Western Conference. That happened in 2012, and it continues into 2013. Yeah, the Clippers, believe it or not. Tiger Woods came back into the scene. Now, he didn't win a major championship this year, but he did win some uh, tournaments. He's certainly become, once again, one of the Preeminent forces in the world of golf. That happened this year. God knows how many women uh, he's on a tear with right now, but he uh, he's back. He's back in golf. That happened. What else? The space jumper, or the person that jumped from the highest elevation, 127,000 feet or something like that. Let's see what else here in sports. Uh, the New York Giants won the Super Bowl. Just a lot of Big stories went on throughout the year. There's a lot of stuff that happened in sports. There's a lot of stuff that happened in news and entertainment and all that sort of stuff. It was a pretty big year. A lot of stuff happened. That's the bottom line. Big year, lots of stuff. I just summarized uh, just a very few sort of points about some of the, uh, the bigger stuff that went on throughout the year. Certainly, I could talk about what Congress did, but then... You know, most of it wouldn't be very positive. Actually, they really didn't do a whole lot. Thank God, actually. The things that they did do, uh, we're not very excited about, that's for sure. All right, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graf Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Certainly, that's a way to get in touch with us. Graf Show on Google Talk. And Michael Graf on Twitter. 
for everything else Michael Graff related, you can always go to the one and only michaelgraff.com. And while you're there, feel free to leave your comments, suggestions, questions, feedback for this or any other podcast that we put up. While you're there, you can also sign up to get registered every time we have a brand new podcast. You will get an email about it. Just be sure to whitelist our site so that you always get the notifications. And of course, you can donate to this program via PayPal. All of that can be done through the one and only michaelgraff.com. That again, michaelgraff.com. Go there, check it out, play around, learn something. It's all good at michaelgraff.com. 2013 is going to be an exciting year. We'll have more podcasts, more stuff for you. And uh, I oh, I also have to share with you, and I think we'll do this um, on our next show, tomorrow's show. The worst song of the year from 2012. Because I did get a request for that over the holidays. Uh, a guy sent me a message and said, hey, what about the worst song of the year? You always do worst song of the week. Um, you always do the pop chart, all this kind of other stuff. So why not give us the worst song of the year? And I do have it. I definitely have a song that I think qualifies as the worst song. And you know what? Maybe we'll even do something positive and the best song of the year. And I know that's going to be hard to do because 2012 kind of sucked musically. But there were some good songs. So we'll get into that and more. All coming up on the next program. Got to talk about uh, the brand new congressional session that will be starting tomorrow, January 3rd, and so much more. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Keep it right here. I'd say same time, same channel, but, you know, it's a website. It's a podcast. It's whatever. It's michaelgraff.com. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.